confusion for you. All eyes on Graham Paul. Simunic, I'm certain, was yellow carded earlier on, and Graham Paul has forgotten about it. Oh, and Siemens been beaten. It's a goal. It's Ronaldinho. Oh, it's not a bad ball for Pelé on the right side. It's Carlos Alberto. And oh, what a great goal that was. Today we head to Russia 2018 for one of Liam's greatest games, a love letter to the Group B opener in Sochi. Spain in turmoil on the eve of the tournament versus an inspired Cristiano Ronaldo and Portugal. Loads of narrative and even more goals. It's Portugal v Spain at the 2018 World Cup. But here's Ronaldo, it is only 3-2 and that's a foul by Gerard Piquet. Uh-oh, indeed. Well, for Spain, that is. Cristiano Ronaldo, ball in hand. It's Ronaldo. Oh, he's done it! He has only gone and done it! Cristiano Ronaldo! Sensational free kick! game, Portugal 3, Spain 3, Cristiano Ronaldo scores the 51st hat-trick in World Cup Finals history and incredibly the 51st hat-trick of his incredible career. Well, he went over it, round it, had all sorts of bend and dip. Not many players who can do that. Incredible free kick from an incredible footballer. Welcome again, one and all, to the final episode of Season 2 of Got Got Need, a World Cup podcast. My name is Chris Robinson and I'm joined as always by Liam Baxter. On the day of love. Happy Valentine's Day, my man. <laughs> Be <laughs> honest, how much trouble are you in because we're recording this on Valentine's Day? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm in the good books. It's all good. It's all good. Good, <laughs> good. It's, it's all love over here. We realised that first thing this morning. We are like, oh, we've uh, booked to record on Valentine's Day. Shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had to have a conversation this morning. Like, yeah, I need to take a couple hours out. I'm just going to go record a podcast about Julian Lobotegi. Uh, <laughs> <is that> okay. <laughs> But I mean, you but know, yeah. we we uh, we've got the you know the joy of talking about a game that you love on yep. the day of love. On the day of love, we couldn't have planned this any better, really. So I know. Yes. Um. How are you, man? You good? You, I'm very you well. Feeling? Thank you. Yeah, I'm good. good. Yeah. You know, keeping warm, like keeping healthy, all of that. You know. Good. 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 <laughs> we're all well. We we can't be far away from lockdown being over now. I've got my Absolutely. fingers crossed. Almost yeah. the summer again. Absolutely. And uh, and you, you're all good. Yeah, all well over here. It's it's a bit cold. I'm sat here in two hoodies, but um, <laughs> but yeah. But other than that, I'm in I'm in great spirits. The sky's grey, but I'm chipper. So excellent. Yeah, all good. Cool. Well, uh, welcome back again to another episode of Got Got Need. Um, if you hadn't guessed already, we're a World Cup podcast, and you can go and leave us nice reviews on things like Apple Podcasts and other places where podcasts are uh, consumable. So go and do that, or you know, go and. Follow us on social media and, and let us know what you think and if there's other topics you want us to cover in the future and uh, you know what you like and 
what you want more of and all of that sort of good stuff we've got some brilliant ideas uh for for future episodes already lined up um, but you know feedback is always appreciated so do go and let us know uh as always across this season we've been brought to you with the wonderful people at zico ball and uh as throughout this season we've been picking out articles to recommend and for you to go and check out and, and peruse uh liam what have you picked out for us now I've gone for I like a good player profile. Mm. Right. So I've gone for Cameron Smith's piece on Brighton's Alexis McAllister. Um because I was actually I was convinced that Brighton were going down this year. Um but they've had a recent kind of resurgence in the last the last few weeks and this is just kind of a player profile and a piece like it details the statistics involved in McAllister's game and how he can sort of be key to to Brighton just staying afloat. Um, I think the gap's about 11 points between them and the drop now. So, yeah, they've been impressive the last couple of weeks. And this was just a really interesting piece of just sort of details how, sort of how many key passes he makes and the kind of dribbles that he completes per per game. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for a good little a good little insight into a player profile. So that's my one for this week by Cameron Smith. Lovely stuff. I've gone for Dan Woffenden's piece about Andre Vias Boas leaving Marseille and the ongoing situation um, at Marseille. Um, I think Marseille are a fascinating club, and and I know that the the chaps at Mundial magazine did a, a a whole issue, you know, with with um, Marseille as like their lead story. Uh, I think it was last year or the year before. So I, I, I've sort of read an awful lot about Marseille as a footballing city and the club and everything. And they were, they were doing well under, under Vias Boas, but it's it's sort of interesting to sort of dig into where it's all kind of collapsed and, you know, ending up with the club signing a player that Vias Boas didn't even want. He then offered to resign. They said no and then sacked him anyway. So he, he literally, <laughs> they could have got away without paying him, but they went, no, we want the... We want the upper hand of saying that we've sacked you and then we have to pay you out. But yeah, it's uh, all gone a bit to shit there, unfortunately. And it's such a weird decision to do that. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. in your resignation, like, no, no, you can't quit because we're firing you. <laughs> yeah. Have a load of money, whole, go away. Yeah. I get the whole saving face thing, but yeah, they would have had to pay out a decent chunk of his, his wage packet to do that. So mm. it doesn't make financial sense. Absolutely. So yeah, so today, today we are heading over to Russia, 2018, not too long ago, not too much of a distant memory, uh, and we are talking about the second game of Group B, the uh, opening game for Portugal and Spain, played at the Olympic Stadium in Sochi, uh, got a few interesting stats and backstory on this game actually, so... Go for it, what the have two, you got? So these, you know, being noisy neighbours, they've played each other a fair few times. Uh, they've played 35 previous matches against each other, including in the round of 16 in the 2010 World Cup, which uh, Spain won 1-0. Uh, interestingly as well, the 2018 World Cup, a lot of people forget that there's a lot of like World Cup powerhouses that are not in this tournament. So you've got no Italy, no Netherlands, no Ghana, Um Yes, it's a kind of a strange World Cup when you look at some of the the teams that are yeah. missing and and those that no are Ghana. There. Yeah, that one stuck out. I completely forgot that they missed out. Actually, mm. that's strange. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it, it it you know shapes up for a, a good start to the the tournament. It's you know good good way to sort of kick off with a, a derby, I suppose. So uh, why don't, why don't you give us a bit of a a backstory on why this game 
you know, this is one of your greatest games. This is your pick. Um, so what is it about this one for you? So this this was a real treat to go back and watch this this week because I don't think I've enjoyed a game of football more than this in a long, long time. Um, it's, it's a match that has literally everything in it. So you've got one team on one side in complete, utter disarray trying to climb back to the summit of world football after a disastrous World Cup in 2014. You've got a side on the other end who are kind of riding this wave of European success. They also suffered a pretty disastrous World Cup in 2014 because they crashed out of the groups as well. Um, It's got the ultimate one-man show in it as well from Cristiano Ronaldo. He essentially drags this Portugal side kicking and screaming to a, a pretty decent point to begin their group campaign while also trying to announce himself as like the ultimate performer in world football at the same time. Um, There's a goalkeeping horror show in there, which we always love to see. Oh yeah. There's a a performance of retribution uh, from Diego Costa, for whom like it didn't quite work out for him in 2014. There was a lot surrounding him, which we'll get to later on in the show. Um, And there's a goal of the tournament contender in there from Nacho as well. So it's, it's just an exciting game first and foremost, but the narrative background and the little bits and pieces in it are just like it's huge it's it's it was such a good game to watch in terms of the 90 minutes of football but the stuff around it as well we just made it one of the most interesting store like interesting games at the last world cup i think do you remember where you were when you watched it the the first time yes i i was in a casino <laughs> so i'd gone <laughs> so i'd gone back to my my parents house uh, over the summer to catch a few games with some friends and this was i think i traveled back the day before so I think this one is the 15th of June. So the World Cup starts on the 13th, I think. And then this is the 15th, so sort of two days is, after yeah. the tournament starts. Um, I'd gone to a casino to meet a friend. I had a friend that worked at a casino. I was like, look, I've got nowhere to watch this game tonight. Can I, you know, I'll come join you at work. And he kept kind of popping away from his his station at the casino to come and see me by the big TVs. And every time he came back, like there's been another goal scored. I'm like, you're missing a really good game. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst you're working away, you're missing a really good game. Um, and I also chose the casino because they, they just bring you free Diet Cokes and stuff <laughs> at all <laughs> times. So I kept getting stocked up on drinks. It was great. I watched this game in a pub in London. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was working in London at the time and I, I remember it vividly because it was a boiling hot like summer's evening or whatever. I'd gone to this pub and previously I'd gone into this pub to watch England games and stuff and it had always been packed when like an England game was on. But a game like Portugal v Spain, it was basically empty. So there's one person there in a Spain shirt, two people there in Portugal shirts, and me and some of my colleagues and friends and stuff just wanting to watch a really good game of football. But you sort of, with with so few people in, in this pub, you just sort of, you, you know, you do that thing where you sort of like, you know, when Portugal score, you, you look over at the... Uh, the Portuguese fans and they're like cheering and you're like like cheering with them and then when Spain score you look over at the, the one geezer in the Spain shirt and you're like cheering on with him it was this yeah. like <laughs> really nice sort of little moment um, while watching the game but yeah it's uh, something that always sticks out to me because it starts you know really brightly and, and it doesn't really ever stop so it's, no. it's just a really really enjoyable 90 minutes of football yeah continuous action right from the get-go it was yeah just a joy to rewatch this week absolutely so let's kick off with the intro to the team so let's look at portugal to start with because they are listed technically as the home team so some key facts and everything around portugal so rui patricio and goal he he played every minute qualifying 
Um, so he's you know, very, very well established there as the the, the you know the number one shirt for for Portugal. Uh, Rafael Guerrero uh, in in the squad and in the team for for today's game as well. Obviously, he he's a bit of an ever present for for Dortmund these days. But I think he had only made one start for Dortmund that year, so I think there was there were some people that were looking at at him as a, a, a maybe an odd choice. I don't know. Um, and then obviously you've got Cristiano Ronaldo, the first Portuguese player to appear at four World Cup finals. He had never scored against Spain before this game, um, and I also read that. Um, Portugal as a nation had played in more World Cup finals with Ronaldo than without. So this was Portugal's seventh World Cup in in total. Uh, they had been at four with Cristiano Ronaldo, three without. I mean, that's like <coughs> Ronaldo is clearly the Portuguese talisman, right? So mm. he is the most important player in that side. I think in this game he shows what he can do as an individual. Yeah. This. This is a Cristiano Ronaldo with the bit between his teeth, basically. He's kind of fresh off. I think this is, uh, he's just come off his fourth Champions League win in five years with Madrid. Mm. He's like days, maybe weeks, months away from um, making the switch to Juve because I think that comes just after the World mm. Cup is finished. And so this, this World Cup is, I say this lightly with air quotes, possibly his last chance to win at a World Cup as well. And I think you can see that right from the off because within... Mm. We'll get to the game in a minute, but within 90 seconds, he is off down the left-hand side. It's pure pace, running at that back line, scaring the shit out of the Spanish defence. Like, he's he's up for this one. So, so yeah, it's, it's a really exciting performance from Cristiano Ronaldo. And there's... The Portuguese team are... They're, they're sort of fresh off the back of winning the Euros. They just about edged out France in that kind of 1-0 tight affair in 2016. They were outsiders to kind of win this win the world cup or really do any damage they were quite a sort of a sixth or seventh down the list of odds that i checked before um during doing the research this week and one of the things that i noticed that was missing from the starting like from the starting lineup anyway was the goal scorer from the final um of mm-hmm. euro 2016 so ed Air, he's not involved yeah and it was weird that we're doing this episode this week and then i saw on twitter that there was um a quote from Ed Air started to do the rounds on one of these kind of um, sports aggregator Twitter accounts that pull together sort of graphics mm. and quotes and stuff. And this quote was tweeted out earlier this week that I made a note of. Um, so this is from Ed Air. <clears throat> uh, yeah, I'm aware nobody really brings up my name when talking about Portugal winning the Euros. But the fact is, I might not have been the right person to win a final for them. But unfortunately, unfortunately, I did. <laughs> nobody was scoring and I decided to take a shot from distance. Not many fans appreciated my goal because the goal came from a stranger rather than from their well-celebrated players. I'm glad I made Cristiano Ronaldo happy and his fans with my effort. So that sounds really sad, right? So <laughs> Ed is obviously a bit like contemplating about his mm. goal that won the, the the European Championships for Portugal. But the first comment under that tweet is Ed Air himself. It just says, I never said that. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd read this thing and I was like, oh, that's really sad. And then literally the first comment underneath it was just Ed Air quote tweeting it. Yeah, I never said that. <laughs> Well, it's, it's interesting. I've actually just finished reading um, uh, The Mixer by Michael Cox, which um, oh, okay. is it's basically all about the evolution of of football across Europe. So, it, so each chapter's on like different um, different countries and, and their style and how it's developed and everything. And there's a really interesting bit about, about Portugal where it talks about how Portugal are great at producing wingers, mm-hmm. but they've never had great strikers. Yeah. 
it's it's the area that they've always struggled with but when you look at this team and certainly in this game you know Cristiano Ronaldo we'll get onto the lineup now Cristiano Ronaldo is playing in the center forward position which he's sort of naturally progressed into um you know from his time at Madrid and you know, when he was at Sporting and when he moved to Manchester United, he's very much playing on the right. He's moved to this sort of centre-forward position, which he's still playing in now for Portugal and for, for Juventus. Um, but they do have strikers on the bench and they have strikers coming through. So it's almost like Portugal, you know, and you can see that by them, you know, winning 2000, Euro 2016. They won um, the 2018-19 Nations League. It's like Portugal have finally solved that that area that they've traditionally always been weak at. Um, you know, they've got Andre Silva plays in this game. You've got um, Fabio Silva, the the young striker who's at uh, Wolves at the minute. You know, he's um, you know certainly one for the future. It's, it's like Portugal are actually solving some of those problems that they, they've had for years with, with strikers. Yeah, um, it's been it's been long going because I think we we mm. we talked about the. Um, was it the the Portugal Netherlands game, the Battle of Nuremberg yeah. on this season, didn't we? And we yeah. discussed then that back in two thousand six, they sort of struggled to to put together a. They just didn't really have a, an out and out striker, did mm. they? We talked about Pauletta a little bit, and it was you know you you wouldn't call him world class in any sense of the word, but a decent kind of I mean, a half decent forward that could score some goals when needed. But mm. it seems that as Cristiano Ronaldo has kind of moved himself out from away from the wings and into the centre he's just become this out and out striker that they need and then solved a huge problem but he's now 35 I think yeah. 36 Something so like that, yeah. someone's going to need to replace him soon so yeah um, Portugal line up 4-2-3-1 Rui Patricio at Sporting in goal Cedric um, of <clears throat> Southampton at right back <laughs> um, Pepe the former Real Madrid centre half, uh, currently, well, at the time was it Besiktas centre centre back? Oh, of course um, he was. <laughs> he was um, before we carry. He was part of that the, the come to Besiktas, like the best ever signing announcements on Twitter that summer, where it was like he'd ring up Koresma, come to Besiktas, and then Koresma would ring up someone and say, "Come to Besiktas." <laughs> yeah. Uh, partnering him at centre back was uh, Jose Font of Daly and Yifang. Um, obviously, formerly of Southampton, West Ham, he went over to China for the big bucks. Uh, Rafael Guerrero, who I, I mentioned before at left back, Borussia Dortmund. The central midfield partnership of William Carvalho from Sporting and Joao Martinho of Monaco. On the right wing, they had Bernardo Silva of Manchester City. Attacking midfielder Goncalo Guedes of Valencia, left wing Bruno Fernandes of Sporting, now Manchester United, and obviously Cristiano Ronaldo at centre forward, um, also the captain. Um, what was your sort of initial thoughts when you when you saw this this sort of lineup and, and this team that they put out? I mean, it's it's a it's it's a strong like there's quite a strong spine down there. It's a, like an aging centre back partnership of Pepe and Jose Fonte, really, isn't mm. it? Um, both by this point they're like past their best well into their 30s veterans um, yeah and i also quite like um i didn't notice at like at the time when i watched this game in 2018 but i quite enjoyed watching a young or a younger bruno fernandez in this game yeah um just playing sort of on the left wing um but we'll kind of well, i've got i've got <laughs> i've made a few notes about some of the the, the attacking players that that aren't Cristiano Ronaldo that we'll kind of get to in the yeah. game 
because um, it is a quite a prolific attacking lineup, but kind of wasteful in this game. Yeah, I also noted um, that this was like obviously this World Cup and and you know this sort of period in time was basically just after loads of these sporting players had had a massive falling out with the club and threatened to rescind yep. all of their contracts. Mm-hmm. So this is how. You know, Wolves get Rui Patricio on a essentially a free transfer. This is how, I mean, I don't know how nobody picked up Bruno Fernandes after all of that. But basically, you had this massive upheaval at Sporting and the players revolting against the club and looking to rescind all their contracts and everything. So there was a question mark on whether the Sporting players that were in this team, whether it was going to have an impact on their performance. But I saw it as very much they're putting themselves in the shop window because they, they want out, you know, they want, yeah. they want to be away. And I think William Carvalho moves to Betis after that. Isn't it? It, was yeah. all, it was all over a, um, I think some fans got into the, like, some ultras got into the dressing room and yeah. attacked one of the players or something like yeah. that. It was over, like they lost in the cup or something and it, security was a bit lax mm. and they just decided that, well, this is just a grievous breach of, well, whether it's health yeah. and safety, I don't know, but yeah, player safety at least and all decided to rip up their contract. So, so the manager, Fernando Santos, he um been in the job since uh, 2014 after Paulo Bento was sacked. Um, pretty successful for uh, for Portugal. Obviously won Euro 2016, as we mentioned. Um, you know, won the 2018-19 Nations League. They finished third in the Confederations Cup as well prior to this World Cup. So, you know, go into this tournament on, on a bit of a high. His, his background, former... Porto, Benfica manager. He also managed Sporting. Very big in Greece. He managed Pauk. He managed Panathinaikos, AEK Athens. He also managed the, the Greece national side as well. So, you know, he, he a lot of experience there. I mean, I think he's 61 when they went into this this tournament. So, you know, he, he knows what he wants. He knows how he wants the team to play. Um, yeah, very, very experienced, which is... When we get onto Spain in in, in a second, is you know, it's very polar opposites from from where Spain find themselves. Yeah, he's a very functional, um, steady hand manager, mm. isn't he, Fernando Santos? Yeah. Which is just complete contrast to what you get on the Spanish bench, which I assume we'll get onto shortly. Absolutely. So Spain. So a few key facts about Spain. So four of this eleven started the World Cup final in South Africa, which Spain won. So it's a very different Spain squad from what people knew from, you know, what is now 11 years ago. Um, you've got some, you know, different players coming through, some younger players coming through, players that didn't get as much of a chance before, perhaps. So it's a very different um, Spain squad. But the, the story here isn't about the squad. It's not about stats. It's about the manager. And I'm going to let you uh, take this one away because this is like narrative central, isn't it? This is where the fun begins, really, isn't it? <laughs> so if we talk, we'll talk a little bit about Julian Lopetegui first because he was who was in charge up until the eve of the World Cup. So Lopetegui from, from 2010 through 2014, he he works with the Spanish underage side. So he wins European championships at under-19 and under-21 level before heading off. He, he goes to coach Porto for a bit. And that's where his his tenure at Porto is an uninspiring one at best, right? So he, I think he makes the last eight of the of the Champions League, but they get hammered in a rec- in like a club record defeat six one against Bayern, so they're out. And then 
while third in the league behind Benfica and Sporting, which is literally as low as you can possibly be if you're Porto <laughs> yeah. boss, he gets let go. So he's gone from Porto there. After he leaves Portugal, he's he's linked with he's linked with the Wolves job for a bit, who mm. in 2016 had just been taken over by the Fosun group. Um, which got got rid of Kenny get. Jacket. Yeah, so that's... I, I think this is after Walter Zenga as well. So that's where yeah. the money comes in and they start to really bring some names into the Wolves squad. Mm. Nuno Espirito Santo, essentially, he ends up getting the job in the end. But So Lopetegui is kind of in the in the mix for that job. But surprisingly, he's handed the reins of the Spanish national team. Um, starts to rebuild his reputation a little bit by steering the senior side to decent wins over Belgium. And I think they, they beat Italy twice in the in their qualifying group. Mm. They win nine out of ten in the of the qualification games for the World Cup. They go through as group winners. Um, Italy finish second, go out to Sweden in the playoffs. So that's where that story goes. Mm. Um, then on the 12th of June, so this is three days before Spain are set to kick off their World Cup campaign in Sochi against Portugal. It's one day before the World Cup actually kicks off, I think. I think my yeah. timeline's right. Um, he, uh, Lopetegui essentially announces that he's just going to take over at Real Madrid after the tournament. He's offered the Madrid job. It's a job you can't turn down mm. if you're Spanish, English, German, Port- if you're anyone, you do not turn this job down, really, do you? I think if you're offered the Real Madrid job, you, you take it, you snap your, you know, you snap someone's arm off for it. The following day, he's just relieved of his duties as Spain manager by president of the Spanish FA, Luis Rubiales. So I think what I read was that Rubiales was completely caught off guard by this. It seemed that there was um, some quotes, I read an article in The Guardian, where lots of journalists and press officers their phones started to just bing and beep and they were getting text messages like oh Lopetegui has just announced that he's going to be Real Madrid manager after the tournament and it that's what happened with Rubiales's phone <laughs> he got the message I think through just a news notification and so he's told of Lopetegui's new role with Real Madrid like five minutes before it was kind of announced it was really he, he didn't realize it was going to happen mm. and said that he just found himself in quotes a very difficult situation um he said i know there's going to be criticism whatever i do um i'm sure this will in time make us stronger which he means he's letting lopetegui go by this point um i admire julian very much i respect him very much he seems a top trainer and that makes it harder to make this decision but you can't do things that you, know, you can't do things this way two or three days before the world cup we have been compelled to make this decision so essentially what he's done is he's like no you don't get to just you know announce that you're leaving and just use this kind of World Cup as a bit of a free hit because you know you've got another job lined up. We need someone yeah. who's completely, fully committed in this. And so they kind of hand over the reins to Fernando Hierro, who's a bit of a deer in the headlights. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's, there was a lot of talk about not only Julian Lopetegui's conduct, but also that of Real Madrid's because there was no, mm-hmm. there was no contact as far as I could read and as far as my, my memory serves between Real Madrid and the Federation. It was just basically, hey, here's a contract, sign it and quit after the World Cup and come and come and work for us. And, you know, like you said, you know, you don't turn that down. So Fernando Hierro, who's the then Spanish sporting director, gets literally parachuted in and told, can you just sort of tide us over for a bit and get us through the World Cup? And you, you do feel for him because... It's not what anybody has expected, and obviously he, he's going to try and do what he can to support his country. Um, so yeah, like you say, 
the eve of the tournament, you've got all this upheaval and Fernando Hierro is, is then on the bench managing Spain at the World Cup, which nobody had planned for. Um, yeah. It's, it's a really... So the, uh, two things to pick up on your point there. The first one is, can you tide us over and just get us through the World Cup is such a weird phrase because that's like something you plan for four years of. It's not the last yeah. 10 games of a season. If you're... Let's say that you're... Um, your Brighton manager and you get offered the Manchester United job the next season and it's 10 games towards the end and so the Brighton board just go well you've accepted that job you might as well just go now and mm. you say to someone look we're we're safe get us through the next 10 games and then we'll see where we go this is the president of the FA saying to someone can you just get us through this this World Cup that you know we've planned yeah. for for four the, years that we'd quite like to win as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. so t- that's that's one weird thing the other weird thing is that Madrid didn't communicate with the Spanish FA, which mm. I think is a bit strange because I always thought that, I might be completely wrong, I'm not massively clued up on Spanish football, but I thought that Madrid was kind of like the Spanish club and Barcelona was the Catalonian club. Yeah. So I'd, I'd understand it a little bit more if Barcelona had nicked away the Spanish manager and not said anything because the, there's, you know, the separatist movement in Catalonia and stuff, you've got, there's always some quotes around Gerard Piquet and other Catalonian players that play for the Spanish national team where it's not necessarily a second thought, but they're more Catalonian than they are Spanish. Yeah. But Madrid is, it's well, it's the Spanish capital. It's centralised in the middle of Spain, probably not too far from the offices of the Spanish FA. I thought there would have been more communication there. That's just something that I thought was yeah, just a bit strange. I would have understood it more if it was Barcelona mm. than it was Madrid. Um, but yeah. Lopetegui takes over as Madrid manager. He gives his first press conference and he says, yesterday was the saddest saddest day of my life. Today is the happiest. So he's gone from being sacked from the Spanish job to literally just taking one of the biggest jobs, probably the biggest job in world football. Uh, The next chapter of the story is not necessarily World Cup based, but it's probably worth noting that Lopetegui lasted just over 130 days in the Madrid hot seat. He didn't last very long. Yeah, he was sacked uh, in October 2018 after a 5-1 pasting in El Clasico. Um, And I think by that point, a lot of people were saying, I remember listening to other football podcasts at the time, and they they were saying that the the writing had been on the wall for a few weeks or so. I think there there was some discontent with some of the players, some of the the tactical decisions, some of the the training, training regimes and everything. And this is we've talked about this before with managers going from club football to international football and it really got me thinking about how and certainly in this game some managers are really suited to club football and some are really suited to international football and i just think you know you can argue because i think uh i can't remember where lopetegui is now i think he's at um, severe that was it. He's at Sevilla. Yeah, he's yeah. rebuilding his rep at Sevilla now. Doing quite and, well, and he's, I think. He's doing quite well there, yeah. And, you know, perhaps Real Madrid was just a step too far. Um, who knows? But, um, yeah. And with to touch on Fernando Hierro a little as well, I mean, he was the sporting director, parachuted in um, to, to you know, get the country through this World Cup. After Spain exited the World Cup in the round of 16 to Russia, um, immediately afterwards, Fernando Hierro stood down uh, and he also said that he wouldn't be taking up his director of football position again. So God knows what happened there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the team for for today, um, you know, they line up 4-2-3-1 as well. You've got Manchester United's David De Gea in goal. Uh, Real Madrid's Nacho at right back. 
the classic uh, centre-back partnership of uh, Gerard Piquet of Barcelona and Sergio Ramos of Real Madrid. He's also the captain. Uh, Barcelona's Jordi Alba, a left-back. Two central midfielders of Sergio Busquets of Barcelona and Coque of Atletico Madrid. Uh, on the right wing, David Silva of Manchester City. Isco, attacking midfielder from Real Madrid. Andres Iniesta at left wing from Barcelona. And Diego Costa from Atletico Madrid at centre-forward. So, uh, quite a strong team. Really nice to see um, Koke getting some proper game time and starts in this and some of the players that are on the bench as well that they bring on as well, uh, you know, good options and everything as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I think it's a, a really strong team and, you know, Spain very much in this sort of... They're a weird team for me because I look at them as still constantly being in transition from what they did in 2010. It seems um, like that, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like, who who's going to place v, uh, Villa and Torres up front? All right, so we've got Costa, <laughs> we've got Lucas Vazquez, we've got, you know, it, it's 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 constantly in this transition. And I look at Spain now and where they go in the future and it's it's their, their weak spot for me is going to be um, a, a centre-back. Right, okay. I think that there are, you know, there are good Spanish centre-backs out there of course no doubt but are they as good as PK are they as good as Ramos that's very be... high bar yeah. very high bar yeah yeah exactly and they had they had this when when Xavi retired they had this when Villa and Torres retired they they have this you know with no Iniesta in the squad anymore as well it's it's who do you who do you play in these positions and can they can they reach those heights and everything but um, yeah yeah so just to touch a little bit on the other games in the group so uh, Portugal, um, they they uh, Portugal and Spain are in the group with Morocco and Iran. So this is probably the big game in you know undoubtedly the big game in in the group. Portugal in their other fixtures they they beat Morocco one nil and they drew one all with Iran. Spain beat Iran one nil and drew two all with Morocco. So yeah. Spain finished top on goals scored. Portugal throw go through on second place. So it's a very tight group actually. When you actually yeah. look at the table, how it ends. This is the game where that they really like. They both kind of want to win to both get off to a win. It's the it's the big one, and then the um, the Spain one Iran nil game is the Milad Mohammadi game. So for, yeah. for more on that, go and listen to our Christmas episode. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. So this is the reason why I mentioned the other games in the group is because you have to win this one to make sure. That you're definitely going to go through because if you if you yeah. were to look at the other two games and go well if you assume that the other team are going to win those then you have to win this one this is the tough one to and, and you know when it comes down to what side of the draw you you end up on um that that's where it, it gets um mathematical i suppose you know and your, your mm. chances of going further in, in the group it's very touch and go for Portugal at the end because they drew 1-1 with Iran in their final game mm. and having drawn their first game, won their second, they're on four points. Iran had won their first, then lost to Spain. And so it essentially came down to the winner of Portugal and Iran went through in second place. So mm. even after this game, they, Portugal sort of, they get the point, but it's still not, you know, they, they still have to go on and make sure they qualify after this one. This was mm. a big one to start the group and what a game we saw <laughs> let's kick off the game then so the first half so it starts um one of the things that i noticed like literally as the the game kicked off 
Ronaldo very early on, I think it's like 90 seconds in doing step overs and tricks and the crowd are all sort of like getting, you know, getting G'd out because they're seeing Ronaldo already sort of doing tricks and entertaining people um, right from the start. And I thought that that, it very much, for me at least, um, set the, like dictated the early sort of pace and bit of narrative of this game. He comes flying out of the traps. Like within within seconds he yeah he's racing at the spanish defense it's the i sort of re, i reread some of the match reports written on the morning of this game and then mm. the kind of the, the minute by minute reports as well just to see if see what the predictions were what people thought going in and there's there's just so much going before kickoff like we we just spoken about so obviously lopetegui's gone which should really weaken the spanish side so you'd maybe give the edge to portugal but then if you go through the spanish squad like we just did there's over 300 trophies in there, like <laughs> to each, God, like yeah. to, to the players' names. So they should be. You've got players like Ramos in there, mm-hmm. Iniesta's in there, David Silva. They should be pretty good at self-governing that squad without a manager. And then it's obviously it's an Iberian derby as well, so there's bound to be like more national pride at stake than normal. And it's Ronaldo up against a string of his Madrid teammates. So there's so mm. much going on here, and I couldn't see. I, I think I read four match reports, and not a single one could call like they all said oh we can't call it it was sort of uh could go this way could go that way who knows and within seconds portugal get off to is a, a flyer ronaldo specifically is is sprinting down the left hand side and they get a penalty within the first three minutes like mm. it's such a quick start no one if if you were i don't know if you're like coming home from work or something you're flicking on the tv and you just missed the start you'd already have missed a goal like yeah. it was such a quick start to this game yeah, I mean, even before the penalty incident, Portugal are very dominant. They're on the ball. They're chasing everything down. Spain are completely stuck in their own half. Um, so, you know, they're they're really not able to get a foothold on this game. And then the penalty that comes, like you say, after three minutes, you've got Ronaldo running into the box. Nacho, he leaves a leg and, yeah. you know, he does that thing where he has his arms up like, no, I'm not touching him. But Ronaldo, because he's a, a very smart centre forward player, he sees the, the leg there. The referee is stood just behind him and he goes, well, I'm just going to go completely over that then. And the referee has no option other than to point to the, the spot because it's like, well, you've left the leg there. He's gone over it in the box. What else can you do? And then there was a clip that I absolutely loved. And it's important that you mention about Ronaldo up against his Real Madrid teammates. There's a slow motion clip where Ronaldo has got up and he's turned and looked at Nacho and he's got this massive shit eating grin <laughs> and he's nodding his head and Nacho's shaking his head like, you bastard. I and Ronaldo's like, yeah, I've got you. I've got yeah. you. I know exactly what I'm doing. It's just, it's so, I think it's one of the reasons why people don't like Cristiano Ronaldo because he seizes on those opportunities if you leave an opportunity he is going to take it because he is a winner he doesn't care how he does it he just wants to win so he gets the penalty yeah it's um like what one thing that we should probably note for this this game as well this is the first world cup tournament with var which it i know is. we've spoken about a bit before it's like oh what would happen if var was was in this was in this game this is the first time where every decision can be scrutinized by 
by an outsider. I, th- I think mm. d- one quick note is that during the 2018 World Cup, VAR was used very effectively. Yeah. I don't think there was too many complaints. It's only since it's been implemented elsewhere that there has been. And so every decision that's made, this penalty decision, there's handballs in this, there's um, not this specifically this game, but throughout this tournament, red yeah. card decisions, they're all scrutinised. The referee will check the monitor on each one and it's used pretty well. There's no, I don't really think there's too much. It's not not a questionable penalty this one it's just no yeah a, a, a dangling leg that Ronaldo kind of trips over and he's the one that scores from the spot he puts them one nil up it's a fairly confident penalty mm. and what I liked about the celebration was so do you remember just before the World Cup so I think this was I think I noted it down so Lionel Messi does this magazine shoot with Paper Magazine and he does it where he's holding a goat, right? So he's in the Argentina shirt. He's like, I'm the goat, yeah. It's his goat photo shoot, right? And the whole article is basically about is Messi the greatest of all time? So what does Ronaldo do in, in, in response to this? He grows a goatee, scores within the first three minutes of the World Cup and then makes a point of kind of brushing his chin and brushing the hair as if to say that it's still up for debate. You haven't won this yet. Um, and I just I love that it's it's such a it's it's him kind of striking back really at his earliest opportunity within the first five minutes of the World Cup he's like yeah you might have done that photo shoot but mm-hmm. there's there's still question it's still questionable the debate isn't over just yet yeah and I think there's something there about how you know people talk about the you know Messi v Ronaldo and who's better and all that sort of stuff I think the thing that people often overlook is that. The fact that you've got two players of that quality, it pushes both of them to be better and to outdo each other. And that makes it better for everyone as an observer of the game. So, you know, perhaps if if Messi's retired at 30 because he's bored and he's made all his millions or whatever, perhaps you don't get that from Ronaldo. Perhaps, you know, that, that sort of motivation comes from you know someone saying well i think i'm the best and it's well i'm, I'm now going to go out and prove you wrong but it's it's all of those additional motivations that, that pushes both of them i suppose yeah and i just i thought that was just a, a nice well a, a great way for him to start the game just mm. to score a goal early on and then just to you know kind of in front of everyone in front of the world's cameras just to kind of brush his chin <laughs> as as some kind of with, with his little goatee um but from there on, like I, I thought that the next night I made was that Spain begin the first half almost half asleep. Like they're yeah. so slow to react to the opening 10 minutes or so. It's, mm. it's kind of all Portugal. Like you say that the Spanish are penned back really early on and they take about half of the half the first half to really start to sort of string some passes together and mm. and come forward a little bit. It's, it's kind of all Portugal in the early stages. I got that as well. I just I felt like they really Spain couldn't get going. Just it just wasn't clicking for them early on. And I think it was about ten eleven minutes in. David Silva finds a pocket of space. He has an attempt. It goes over the bar, and it's just sort of like, like you said, they're they're, they're, they're asleep at the wheel. And another thing I noted, PK was quite good at, in the early stages of just calming the the game down and retaining possession. You know, he would quite often get the ball pass back to De Gea and as if to sort of say let's start another move from the back out again and just be patient with it um it was frustrating in the sense that you've got an aging Andres Iniesta the only one willing it appeared to beat a man in the right. sort of first sort of first 15 minutes but it just felt a bit limp 
It just felt a bit like either Spain were lacking ideas or Portugal had their markers set or a combination of all of it. Um, but yeah, it, it just it took Spain so much time to get going. Um, and uh, like you say, it's all Portugal. I mean, Ronaldo sets up this brilliant counter-attacking move as well where I think it's he gets the ball off of uh, a Spanish attacker, launches the ball downfield, runs after it to meet up his own sort of ball. Yeah. Gets, you know, Guedes, um, you know... Oh, this chance, yeah. Yeah, he has a, a, a chance and it gets closed down. But it's just all of the the swing of the pendulum is is with with um with Portugal and you know Busquets picks up um a fairly sort of needless yellow card after about 15 16 minutes which i think for me kind of summed up the frustration maybe at the start of the game so you've got Moutinho is all over Busquets like he's got his arms around him and everything and he lets him go um and the ball sort of rolls across to Goncalo Guedes. So Busquets just then lunges into Guedes and, and picks up a yellow. And it's like, you didn't have to do that. You just need to keep your head. Um, but what makes that even worse is that it sets up a free kick, which is just peak Ronaldo. Um, but for me, it was, it was a funny free kick, actually, because it's lined up and it's sort of like, oh, he couldn't possibly have a go from here, could he? And, and he stood up and he's... You know, pulled the shorts up, and he's ready to, you know, have a long range effort. And he hits it as hard as he can, and it belts into a whoever is in the Spanish wall. It hits one of the the Spanish uh, players in the head, and bounces away. And you see this Spanish player just like hit the deck and get up, like really dazed and everything. But that that was, uh, yeah, that that then what that one looked sore for me. That one looked sore. <laughs> yeah, they they open it like. I think the the whole sort of pendulum analogy is is perfect for this game because it it does swing so far Portugal's way in the first sort of 20 25 minutes but then it swings so far the Spanish way later on in the game. Yeah. And then it's kind of back to Portugal and it's back to Spain. It swings quite a lot during this game and that's I think that's what made it really enjoyable but they there should have I think we're we're about sort of 25 minutes in now. Yeah. Portugal really should have been 2-0 up because there was that Guedes chance who yep. sort of dilly dallied and didn't he just didn't take the shot on in the end Mm. he was kind of he was played in by Ronaldo had a clear shot at goal didn't take it it was blocked Ronaldo kind of throws his hands up in disgust and then this is going to be a thread that kind of runs through the whole game is where Mm. the the players around Ronaldo aren't quite doing their jobs properly and then just sort of 90 seconds two minutes after that wasted chance from Guedes the ball is lumped forward to Diego Costa Mm. (laughs) and he completely out muscles out foxes pepe and jose fonte to get a shot away really low and hard past Rui patricio for the spanish equalizer and this is everything that encapsulates how good diego costa can be in one kind of 20 second this in, in one goal in one 20 second sort of clip um i mean absolutely because it's excellent He's had like no, barely any opportunities, virtually no, no service. He no. had to make it all himself. And mm-hmm. the thing that I really liked about Diego Costa in this entire game is that he doesn't get a lot of service. That's not a spoiler. That's just the you know the, Portu- <laughs> yeah. the Portugal. Portugal are very good 
and I'll come on to William Carvalho in particular a little bit later because there's a couple of things that I noticed him doing a lot okay. to nullify how Spain liked to play. So it's a very good sort of tactical thing that Portugal do here. But as a team, one of the things that Portugal do incredibly well in this game is they restrict the service to Costa because he's the target man, he's the threat. So when this goal happens, Costa has to make it himself. He's got, you know, like you say, he's danced himself away from Pepe. He's, the ball is like magnetized to his feet as he sort of jinks one way and the other past people trying to close him down but not concede a penalty and then is able to create half a yard of space to smack the ball past Patricio for the equaliser. He gets the ball and he's dangerous. Yeah. Is 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 essentially this is the part of the another sort of thread to the narrative of this game is the redemption arc of Diego Costa, where yeah. four years previous Spain entered the twenty fourteen World Cup to defend their title from four, from another four years previous, and it's noted that Diego Costa doesn't quite fit the Spanish way of playing. If you watch the three group games from twenty fourteen, he doesn't get great service, which is very similar to this game. But it's it's this goal that comes from this lumped long ball. And Costa does excellently to fight off the entire Portuguese backline by himself, fashion the chance himself. It's all down to his like his own hard work and persistence. Where 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 in twenty fourteen Costa essentially he chose the natural his naturalized home of Spain over Brazil before the Brazil World Cup, which was yeah. a very unpopular decision. And this was I think this game here is his attempt at finally kind of vindicating that decision. He's quite a much maligned player now after his sort of second spell at Atleti but he was known I feel like he's known more for his kind of bastardry on the field right he's Probably, known as yeah. more of a nuisance but there was a time where he was an unbelievably prolific forward for both Atleti and Chelsea oh he was mad is, at Chelsea he was he insanely was excellent. good yeah one be- like he was a very key reason they won that second title under well uh, that title under in Jose's second spell and this is one of the things that I love about this game. It's just Diego Costa proving that he can play an integral part in this Spanish team as he's essentially a kind of rugged, bearded plan B. So when Spain find themselves penned in like they have for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes of this, they can, they, they've got this option of knocking it very long to Diego Costa to tirelessly chase down and either hold up the ball and wait for support mm. or carve out a chance himself, which he does here. He's he he's magnificent in this game. So you brought up that the the Portuguese do very well to restrict the service of Diego Costa in this game. He's still on the score sheet twice. That, yeah. I think that just shows it, just what a good what a great game he has here. Mm. Yeah, I mean when we talk about you know the pendulum as well, it it, it very much now swings back in the favour of Spain because yeah. short, shortly after the goal, you then have. Uh, an opportunity where basically Spain do their like, sort of like ni- nice sort of passing movements to get the ball upfield. Isco on you know just outside the box, he has a long shot which you know really beautifully hit shot which bounces off the underside of the bar and bounces on the line and away. We talked about VAR in this in this game as in this tournament as well. Proper goal line technology in this in this tournament as well the you know the the watch doesn't go off the ball hasn't crossed 100 percent of the line so it's not been given but it's it's kind of crazy how you have like the first 
10-15 minutes which is all Portugal and then the minute Spain sort of feel like they're back into it again it's like it, it, it's like the game's just finally kicked off for Spain and they're, yeah. they're really in the ascendancy and they have like a probably like a 10-15 minute spell where it, it feels like it's all Spain and that they're just going to get another um, and then the only other booking in this game on 28 minutes is, is Bruno Fernandes and it's probably kind of like how the Busquets one kind of came out of frustration. I think this one kind of comes out of frustration as well. And I think it's a harsh booking because Bruno Fernandes picks up a yellow card. You've got two players going for the ball. There's no lunge. There's no studs. It's just a collision as two players go for the ball. Fernandes gets the ball and, and jogs on. I can't remember who the Spain player is. It might be Nacho um, or Jordi Alba. But they're rolling around on the pitch, making the most of it. And so the referee blows for it. And it's only after the referee has... Because you know, the initial challenge, the referee's just sort of allowed to carry on. It's only when you've got someone rolling around on the floor, clutching at their foot as if it's just been lopped off in, you know, sore five. <laughs> it, you know, the, the, the referee blows for it. And you kind of feel a bit for Bruno Fernandes because when you watch the challenge again... Challenge challenge in air quotes <laughs> air quotes yeah yeah it, there's there's no there's nothing malicious there it's just a coming together as they call it these days and i i don't know it just felt it felt really soft yeah i bought a, a well i bought free kick i suppose you could mm. call it and yeah it does kind of just put the stamp on the fact that that now the ball is very much in the in the spain sort of camp the, the pendulum swung the other way isn't it because they the spanish start to look great in possession now Absolutely, yeah. But on the other end of it, Portugal are extremely dangerous on the counter attack because you've got the pace of the pace of Ronaldo and, and Guedes going forward. And yeah, I think where you say that the Spanish have kind of woken up, the the game has started for them now. They were the first twenty twenty minutes. They were very much they, they conceded an early penalty, an early goal. Um, the first twenty minutes, they're very slow, very sluggish. Not really have woken up. They then kind of get out of jail for free because mm. Diego Costa fashions a goal out of nothing. And there they're like, right, okay, we're back on level terms. Let's kind of start again here. And this is where they really start to take a stranglehold on the game. But you can you can see, uh, I know with the, the the benefit of hindsight, we know there's more goals. Mm. You can just see from the play that there's more goals in this one half an hour in. Yeah, I mean, on 35 minutes, there's another attempt by Spain. You have this really gorgeous sort of passing play build I mean, classic Spain sort of stuff and Iniesta has a shot which I think it takes a, a slight deflection off of either another Spanish player or the, or a Portuguese player it, it sort of it bounces off of someone that sort of just flutters past the, the the post wide but where the thing that I noticed in the sort of this period of the game is a Isco is probably one of the most underrated players in the world his creativity, his um, ability to create and deliver all sorts of different passes. You know, he does through balls. He'll look up and cross the, you know, get the get the ball to the other side of the pitch. He will have a go. He's had a go himself. He's tried to set up teammates. He's kind of what you want. He's a proper team player. He's you know knitting things together. Like we we talked about. Miroslav closer before and about how he would have this sort of unselfish streak to his play mm -hmm. where if there was opportunities yeah. for other people he would set them up Isco is kind of like the the complete 
you know number 10 in 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 this game he's magnificent and we were talking on whatsapp about about isco and you mentioned it you know about how how mad it is that he's basically done yeah. bugger all from madrid since. <laughs> just a strange that he it's it is it was really strange watching this game back this is almost three we're, we're just shy of this this game being three years ago and he doesn't seem to have kicked on one bit and that may be i mean that's probably down to opportunity more than anything because it's very clear from this 90 minutes that the talent is there yeah. Um and the work ethic um is also there. It might just be to it, like I say I don't I, I don't profess to know too much about Spanish like the ins and outs of Real Madrid um in the in their current form. So yeah. why that is, is a massive question mark, but I think it is just down to opportunities given to him. It's it, honestly it's, it's I I said that last night to you that it's just mm. really strange that he's not kicked on since this game because he he's flawless in this game. Yeah, the the other thing I notice as well is about how you know Spain very much in the ascendancy, pendulum is very much on them. Um, Alba and Nacho are being used a lot to try and stretch the play and get it get the ball down the wings and then sort of cross it in or, or work the ball into the box. And I think that the reason why they do that is because going through the middle of Portugal is just going to be impossible because that you know, double act of William Carvalho and Joao Moutinho, they just bully you off the ball. And one of the things that, you know, I alluded to earlier about William Carvalho, he is all over Iniesta. Anytime Iniesta is going towards the ball, William Carvalho is there before him. Anytime (laughs) Iniesta's on the ball, he's getting either the ball off of him or Iniesta on the floor. And it's forcing Spain to have to go out wide and... It's it's a really interesting sort of bit of game plan by Portugal because it's basically they've got this wall in the middle, you know, of William Carvalho and Joao Moutinho. You're not going to get be able to get past them, or if you try, it's going to be very very difficult. And it means that those through passes and those intricate little moves and everything, the, the triangles that you know of passing that Spain have traditionally always liked to do in in recent years, it's so much more difficult. Um, and, and it and it makes yes Spain are in the ascendancy yes they're having lots of possession yes their pass completion rate is eighty eight percent at this point you know the crazy crazy stats but but it's they're really having to work for it and then it leaves ju- them very open to the counter as well if you've got fullbacks bombing forward and yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo with acres of space to run into <laughs> and, it's and fucking then, dangerous exactly and then and then the pendulum swings completely the other way just before half time and now we get to the goalkeeping howler yeah (laughs) (laughs) so this is i mean it's an awful mistake from De Gea right let's just say that from the outright absolutely Ronaldo is teed up on the edge on the edge of the d this kind of short little pass from Guedes and he he just drills a shot with his left foot straight at David De Gea it's it's very comfortable Mm -hmm. it was a well-struck shot but it's 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 meat and drink as they say it's a routine save but it slithers through the arms of De Gea and into the net, and you're just looking at like, like in disbelief at what's just happened. It's it's yeah, it's a very routine shot. Should have been saved in this instead. It's in the back of the net, and Portugal are two one up just before half time. There's there's a there's a debate to be had, I think, as to whether De Gea was at that point or is now. I suppose because it's still raging on. One of the best goalkeepers in the world. There was a point mm. where he was in the conversation. I think. But he's lost that edge since and makes far too many individual errors and mistakes 
there's only so long I think that you can be off the boil before you're not a great player anymore. I think I've got I've got a friend Dan who is always quick to point out and laugh at any De Gea mistake because he's been on the De Gea isn't great train bandwagon for longer mm-hmm. than anyone I know. He's always quick to put a video or clip in a WhatsApp group like he's fucked up again. <laughs> like he's done it again. <laughs> I told and, you. Yeah, and and I think that there is he's just not dependable or mm-hmm. as dependable as he was, shall we say. Um and there's definitely, I mean, uh, I think this season there was going to be a debate at Manchester United as to whether he would keep the number one shirt with Dean Henderson coming in. Yeah, He has up to a point, up to now anyway, up to the recording of this podcast. Mm. There's got to be a decision in Spain as well as to whether there's someone else coming through. Probably not Kepa. I was going to say, um, it's not going to be Kepa or Malaga, is it? So. Yeah. But there's just, you. Uh, yeah, there's too many individual errors there that lead to goals that suggest that he can be world-class now maybe he was but there's been three or four years where that question mark has been hanging over his head and after a while you're just you just don't get it back look at joe hart yeah i mean this is part of that whole period of time where real madrid rumoredly you know were rumored to want de Gea, and they were going to do a a deal where kalor navas went the other way and there was all this sort of talk about you know is is the hair good enough who do you get to replace him and you know, talk of Manchester United looking at other goalkeepers that they could get to replace him because they weren't weren't sure if he was good enough to be the number one at Manchester United. You know, a, a team that's traditionally had very very good dependable keepers is traditionally you've never had to worry about the goalkeeping position at Manchester United. You never worried when Peter Schmeichel was there. You certainly never wor- worried when uh, Edwin Van der Sar was there. No, um, safe a pair of safe hands was Van der Sar. Yeah, and, and and that's what as as a team they they want, and and equally then you look at you look at Spain and you go well you need to be able to you know you could always rely on Casillas always, um, very rare that he would make mistakes, so then it's you know and you say about the future I mean what what options do Spain have for the future Do you take a a risk on a a younger player, and you you, know, you start their their journey in the national team. Or I, I know De Gea's kind of redeemed himself a little bit over the last sort of few months or whatever. He hasn't made as many howlers as as he was during this period of time. But uh, yeah, this this is when you watch the the replays of of this goal, it's it's hit straight at De Gea. He should it's be really stopping simple. It. Yeah, it's a really simple shot to stop. Just get your body behind it. Um, yeah. It's just a lapse of concentration. And that's that's it. That's the last action of the half, really. The half mm. comes to an end. And, I mean, by this point, this is one of the most scintillating halves of World Cup football I've ever seen in my entire mm. life. There's barely been a dull moment. Both sides have had periods of domination. And even in those periods, the other side has looked dangerous on the break. Like, Portugal are very quick to break when they get the ball. And Spain have shown that they can lump it long to Diego Costa to get themselves out of a difficult situation if they need to. So there's constant, there's a constant threat of danger, whether you're in possession or out of possession in this game. It's, it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> so let's kick off the second half. So Spain, for me, start the half with a lot more positivity. They, mm-hmm. they, they seem to be looking for an early equaliser. They're pushing on more early. You know, they're just a bit more proactive, I think. Um, I also feel that there's a bit more 
physicality early in this half. You see PK handling Ronaldo, William Carvalho taking Iniesta down. And it's starting to get a little bit more more spicy, I feel. Um, and I mentioned William Carvalho before. You see more in the second half. He has undoubtedly been given the nod to stop Iniesta dicta- dictating the pace and play of this game. Um, and it makes it difficult for Iniesta to impose himself in any way in this in the second half. So as you've got sort of like 10 minutes into the second half, you feel like there's an inevitability that um, changes are going to have to be made um, sooner or later. And it's Spain that really sort of take the the first blood in in this half, isn't it? Yeah, they. I mean, it's it's around ten minutes in, and it's the Costa again levels it up at two two. It's a f- I think it's a, and yes, it's kind of fouled thirty yards out, and the ball is kind of clipped. It's kind of a short free kick. Um, it's clipped to the far post where where Busquets gets up over uh, over his, over his marker and heads back across goal, mm. and Diego Costa is the first one to react. He's the the first one to the ball, stabs it in from six yards. It's instinctive play from a centre forward, and like we said, for someone that's had relatively little service in in the first half and the first ten minutes of the second half, he manages to find himself on the score sheet twice. Um, and he he has a chance for a hat trick later on in the game as well. There's mm. another chance that he fashions for himself. But yeah, for 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 Spain to come out of this uh, out from half time in the second half so quickly so raring to go looking for an early equalizer they they get it pretty quickly it's only it takes them 10 minutes to to level things up yeah and shout out to david silver as well because he could have just hit the free kick like like either had an attempt himself or got it tried to get the ball straight to costa but I feel like that would have been like the obvious thing to do. So having mm-hmm. the sort of nous to get it to Busquets, who would then nod it in, it just, yeah, it just it just felt like a really smart way of making the most of that set piece. And obviously they they get the goal and fifty five minutes in and it's it's all level and it's all to play for again. Um, and like you say, it's another one of those ones where Costa is making the most of the opportunity that he he's been presented with, rather than. You know he hasn't had. He's still not getting a lot of service, but it's just going. I'm in the right place at the right time, and I'm doing my job. And and it, it's two two. Yeah. Well, for someone to make the most out of an effort, shall we talk about goal of the tournament contender three minutes later? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So this is like where we talk when we talk about like Spain coming out and you know really trying to own the second half. The, the Costa one, you sit there and go, okay, that's good. It, it gets it level. And, and I know that like basically shortly after that, um, Goncalo Guedes gets floored outside the Spain box. He thinks that he was fouled and the ref shakes his head and plays on, which is weird. And I only bring that up because we've seen the Bruno Fernandes yellow card, which yeah. was really, really harsh. This Guedes challenge, you know, if you're not, if you're going to give that as a yellow card and not, it's the reason why people get frustrated with referees and with VAR is all about the consistency and the use of the rules. You can't give Bruno Fernandez a yellow card for a you know fifty fifty, but then Guedes gets fouled and you just wait, you know wave wave it away and say play on. But hey, yeah. even in this game, you see free kicks given for less than that, which yeah. was I I get why you brought that up. It's it's a strange decision that. Yeah, just inconsistent with the rep, with the get with the way the game is refereed throughout the opening hour. 
So, 58 minutes, your goal of the tournament contender, the first goal Nacho's ever scored for Spain, and something reminiscent of... Remember that Benjamin Pavard goal for yeah. France? It, it, it's got a little bit of that about it. It's it's They're very, very similar. So the ball is kind of headed... I think the Portuguese are kind of under a lot of pressure and it's kind of this defensive clearance that, that is hit out by William Carvalho. And yes. it, it rebounds across uh, across the box and it just bounces up at a decent height for Nacho to be able to, to hit it. Mm. He kind of cuts across the ball with this like it's like slices it or something doesn't it yeah he kind of contorts his body in order to slice this ball really low to the ground and it hits both posts going into the net which i love (laughs) so (laughs) the technique on this is so perfect the ball is the trajectory of the ball is so true at the same time and it's it's nice that you brought up sort of benji pavard's effort for france as I prefer this Nacho one because it because a because it hits both posts before it nestles in the net, and just it's it's just I think the the trajectory of the ball is so low to the ground it just makes yeah. it aesthetically a little bit nicer. Whereas Pavard's kind of go, it it rises and it doesn't hit either the post it just nestles in the net. Mm. Um, yeah, what a, what a, I mean a goal of the tournament contender on just day two so perfect. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I also want to give a shout out to Isco again because okay. When the, the whole sort of like build up to this goal, you've got a lot of passing. You know, Spain have been pushed out down the wings again. There's a lot of interplays between Isco, um, Jordi Alba, and David Silva, who keep possession, keep moving the ball forward. And Isco is being challenged left and right, but he he does that thing where he's like the ball's like a magnet to his feet, and he keeps possession and keeps the the move going. And it could have been so easy for someone to just clear Isco out and that goal never would have happened. But <laughs> Isco's like guile and resilience and determination to keep hold of the ball and, and keep this move alive for it to then sort of float over the, the head of um, William Carvalho and Nacho to just get on the end of it. It never would have happened without Isco. So, you know, it, I think it's a fantastic individual effort to get the ball in the net, but to keep it all alive, um, Isco did a marvellous job there. So Yeah. He's influential in the move, isn't he? Yeah. I also quite liked that while all of this is going on, um, you've got Jao Mario uh, stripped and ready on the on, on the side of the pitch. He's, he's waiting to come on. He's been waiting for ages to come on. You've got Portugal kicking off again they've got a good passage of play they're working different angles blah 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 um but rather than just sort of like let the ball go out so that Gerard Mario can come on he stood there for about I don't know five six eight minutes waiting to come on <laughs> and he's just sort of stood there on the touchline and every now and then the camera cuts and he's doing that thing like you know jumping up and down on the spot like I'm ready and like the fourth official's there with the, the board and he's got it on the floor now because he's like we're just waiting for the ball to go out of play but yeah, he's stood there for ages <laughs> trying to keep himself warm yeah and that's you know 68 minutes where the first substitution happens it's Bruno Fernandes comes off and João Mario comes on and it's a bit of a weird one for me because I think it shows that basically Portugal have started their best eleven because right. João Mario is with the greatest of respect a significantly weaker option than Bruno Fernandes yeah. he's a, a replacement player isn't he yeah 
Yeah, he yeah, exactly. So when you look at the substitutions that are made, the ones made by Spain show that there is a lot of depth in their squad. The ones made by Portugal show you that their their best eleven are on the pitch. Um, so yeah, the strength and depth of the Spanish sides you you see as the substitutions are made. It's just there's one one player goes off and an equally strong player comes on and then with the Portugal substitution I think João Mario is a great example of just a warm body yeah. just someone there Fresh who legs. can play for. yeah it's all that you wouldn't I don't think in any situation you could say that he's a better player than Bruno Fernandes so it's just uh, yeah he's just there for the energy um, and this well, is then, kind of where I think now oh no go for it I was just going to say they make another substitution a minute later which I absolutely adore because I really, really fucking like Ricardo Caresma because I like it when he does that thing that he does. So bringing off Bernardo Silva on 69 minutes and bringing on Caresma, I'm sat there on my sofa, so rubbing my hands going, I can't remember if he does anything in this game, but I really fucking hope he does because <laughs> God damn, do I like it when he does that thing. There's, there's, there is one example of that in this tournament. I think it's against Morocco where he hits. It's the, well, the quintessential Quaresma goal where it's a curling effort with the outside of his boot yeah I think it's Morocco um but I'm glad oh yeah I'm glad you brought up Quaresma because he kind of falls into uh, like the next two notes I made were around this point where you've kind of got again we talk about the pendulum swing so Spain kind of retreat a little bit around the hour mark they've just mm. gone into the lead they ease off the pressure a little bit and Portugal kind of allowed a little bit more of the ball for the next five or ten minutes because Spain are holding a lead. And I, I made a point that Spain, the 20, first 20 minutes of this game aside, I mean, for the next sort of 40, 45, 50 minutes, they play some wonderful football. And mm. on this evidence alone, they I think I read that Spain were third favourites going into the tournament. They were at six to one with most yeah. rookies, just behind Brazil and Germany, um, who neither of those won either um so they were right to i think on the basis of this evidence alone they were right to be installed in that kind of top bracket of favorites for this tournament i mean we, we know how the story goes after that they go out in a penalty shootout to the hosts after a very limp 120 minutes in the last yeah. 16 but on this 90 minutes of football they are still one of the best footballing sides in the world mm. they retain the ball so well in the final portion of this game and portugal really struggled to get because I think we're now around the 70-minute mark. Some substitutions have been made. Yeah. And Portugal struggled to get a sniff. And you can see every time the camera cuts to Ronaldo, he's just visibly frustrated because they're 3-2 down at the moment. He's, he's scored twice. You can't realistically ask him to do much more. Quaresma is on the field by this point, And he wasted a chance or two in the final third of the game. Yeah. Gonzalo Guedes, had, he'd been wasteful earlier in the game. Um, Jose Fonte and Bruno Fernandes they get into quite good positions from corners. I think uh, Jose Fonte wastes a fairly good... He's not as clinical as he should be in a really good position after a corner. And Fernandez puts one wide as well. And this is what I mean when at the start of the episode I talked about Ronaldo dragging this Portuguese side, kicking and screaming to a point because Portugal have been deadly on the break and have created chances despite not seeing much of the ball. But it's only Ronaldo who's who's been clinical and found the back of the net. Yeah. There's been other opportunities where his teammates have just put the ball wide, hit the the woodwork, or well, I mean, shooting straight at De Gea. We know that sometimes that goes in anyway, but <laughs> but made they've they've made De Gea's life fairly easy with shots sort of in and around his kind of wheelhouse. So. 
it's it's what I mean when I just say that this is a, a great Ronaldo performance and that he's really the only one that's that's finding the back of it. Otherwise, it could be 3-0 Spain. If you don't have Ronaldo on the pitch, it's quite easily a 3-0 walkover for Spain. Yeah, it, or, it, or more if the confidence goes yeah. and the morale drops and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. and when you when you look at the the because Spain then start to make some substitutions in you know the sort of last twenty minutes of the game, and when we talk about the depth and the the options that Spain have, they bring off Andres Iniesta to bring on Thiago Alcantara. Now I know, you know, recently the last sort of twelve <laughs> months or whatever, he's had issues with injuries and stuff. But when he is fit, he is like the 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 natural heir to Iniesta's throne he never to be honest he never should have left Barcelona but I get why he went to Bayern Munich and obviously he did brilliant things there and everything but I thought you were going to bring up the whole ideal ball and stuff thing that he's been playing at Liverpool where that great format at the moment where it's like oh no one has played no no, no one has uh, um put more thumbs up in this 90 minutes than than Thiago 16 or like no one's played more great idea balls than Thiago in this 90 minutes 23 <laughs> well I, I have actually got on my notes that I, I quite like that Thiago comes on because he brings some fresh ideas so <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think he, he has quite an immediate impact on the game as well because you know he he runs into some space so it gives you know other players opportunities to sort of get the ball to him he you know has he sets up he's part of the move that sets up Costa he has a, a good chance after some of the changes but knocks it wide um, so he definitely has an immediate impact like the first sort of couple of minutes of him being on mm-hmm. um, and then Sp- Spain make another change where they bring off Diego Costa and bring on Iago Aspas which is an interesting one for me because I know that in this country, when people mention Iago Aspas, they either go, I don't remember him, or Liverpool fans go, he was shit for us. You think of the corner. <laughs> there's, I just, there's the Iago Aspas corner for Liverpool. Yeah, I, I just don't I don't feel like he's given the respect that he's probably deserved because he is utterly adored at Celta, yeah. where he's played like the majority of his career. And yeah, he's probably not a starter for, for Spain, but one hell of an impact sub to bring on. And again, he's another one of those players who, you know, the remaining part of this game, he has a couple of, you know, opportunities. He has one attempt that is really good. He just doesn't connect with the ball as well as he potentially could have, but he's a nuisance and that's what you need. You know, you've got these tired legs of Pepe and Jose Font and the last thing that they want to deal with is this nippy little guy from Celta Vigo running rings around you. So it's a pretty inspired substitution to bring him on at this point. Um, and like almost immediately, so a couple of minutes after Aspas comes on, um, Portugal make their last change. And it's obviously a last sort of roll of the dice to sit there and go, let's throw on another attacker and, and, and give this one a go. And they bring off Goncalo Guedes and bring on Andre Silva. He... He's a good goal scorer who it never really worked out for him at Milan. You know, yeah. he's he's playing for I think he's playing for Eintracht Frankfurt at the minute. And yeah, he's, do, he's had a Frankfurt. yeah he's had a really good season so far, and I think that you know as we mentioned earlier about a nation that have traditionally not been very good at producing strikers. He's he's a good one to be able to bring on. I think um, if I'm right in saying he was the second 
top goal scorer for them in World Cup qualifying because Ronaldo finished top with like 15 mm. goals in that qualifying group. And then Bernardo Silva came a very close second with, I think it was nine. So he's clearly, I think around this 2018 World Cup, he was seen as kind of the heir to Ronaldo's goal scoring throne. I think it's not, I don't think it's quite worked out as they expected. Um, yeah. I'm sort of filling for time whilst I'm going through the Wikipedia page now. <laughs> well, he's he's still a young time. player, isn't he, Andre Silva? I mean, he's what, 25 now. So he would have been what 23 or something then. Um yeah, I mean, yeah. so far, so nine, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's well. So in in Port in a Portugal shirt to date, he's scored sixteen in thirty seven appearances. Um, yeah, I think he's done he's done quite well wherever he's gone. It just didn't work out for him at, at Milan. So yeah, you know, you can't let one one team sort of uh, color your your whole career or whatever. But yeah, uh, a really good opportunity. Uh, for him in this game and, and you know good option to to bring on um you see as the game is sort of coming to an end spain are playing a lot of keep ball they're just retaining possession not giving it away too much um yeah aspas as i mentioned he has this attempt he also has another uh opportunity where he sets up david silver but david silver can't get on the end of it and it, go- it goes out for a goal kick um so it it does feel like Spain are very much in the ascendancy again. Um, Spain on eighty six minutes make their last change. David Silva comes off. Lucas Vazquez comes on. There's another player I really really like. So again, it's like this is where you've got. It's really great to watch a game of football where both teams just really want to go for it. So none of this sort of like oh let's take off a striker and bring on another defender and just see it out. It's no no. There's more in this and we can go for this. And then. After you know, almost immediately after all of the changes have been made, Portugal have done their substitutions. Spain have done their substitutions. The game looks like it's going to be a three-two win for Spain, and Cristiano Ronaldo decides, "I've got no. other ideas." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he goes for you know, it goes all Thanos, and he's like, "Fine, I'll do it myself again." <laughs> so this is eighty-seven minutes, and Gerard Piquet does a. <laughs> He takes the legs from underneath Ronaldo, doesn't he? From behind, yeah. just centre of the D, which is just, it's it's a really clumsy tackle. And there's not much in it, but if you touch the legs of Ronaldo, I think we've already seen, if you touch the legs of Ronaldo within the final third, yeah. unless he knows that there's an attacking opportunity afterwards, he's not. He's kind of facing away from goal. So he knows he can just kind of go down and, and take, and there's a dead ball situation from there. Mm. And then, so that's, uh, that's an 87 minutes a minute later 88 minutes so Ronaldo lines up this free kick on the edge of the D it's within range he goes through the motions of standing in the correct position kind of mm-hmm. takes a few deep breaths pulls his shorts up a little bit eyes up the top I think it's the top right hand corner of the goal yeah and it's considering there was a time where I think it was in Euro 2016 where Ronaldo was taking every free kick and missing and it was a sort of a stat with oh he's taken so and so many free kicks and is yet to score or has gone so long taken so many free kicks for Portugal without scoring this one is just it's a glorious effort curled completely around the wall into the right hand side the right hand sort of corner of the net giving De Gea no chance whatsoever um I don't. I don't think he even like. 
moves for it. He he, he sort of no. stood there and he, he no, turns no and just sees the, sees the ball in the net. He doesn't can't even react to it. It's 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 Ronaldo essentially just taking one last opportunity to get a point for his team, isn't it? It's this is the icing on the cake for him. It's a it's a hat trick in a World Cup mid sort of days or weeks after this whole you know like I said the kind of magazine shoot that's uh, that's kind of crowned Messi as the greatest of all time and it's his performance that just says no he's fucking not like <laughs> like I'm still here I can do like this game is one man versus a team really because mm. although Portugal play fairly well it's only Ronaldo that is clinical enough to get the goals necessary to snatch a point away from a f- otherwise great Spanish performance like I say aside from the first kind of 20 minutes where they were a little bit on the back foot this Spanish side have played a great 90 minutes of football when you take into account just in in they were in so much disarray going into it they've played mm. a really good game of football here and if it wasn't like you, know, you take Ronaldo out of the equation it's probably a walkover for the Spanish Ronaldo has run himself into absolute dust after this game you could see that he looks to be cramping up he's in agony and yet the camera kind of cuts at the there are i mean there are a few i think there's two final chances for portugal yeah. in the dying minutes as well yeah, i think yeah. Caresma does well to shimmy into the box doesn't he but his effort is blocked well he's he's tackled just as he's about to pull the trigger right. so i mean it's like really close and it, it looks it's like it's all built up the pendulum has swung fully over to, to Portugal again and they're going there's still time which means we can get a fourth and you've got these two opportunities one where it starts with Patricio he gets the ball hits it long gets the ball upfield Charisma gets you know has this opportunity he's 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 pulled his leg back to pull the trigger he's ready to hit it and yeah. the ball and, and he's sort of like tackled and the ball's cleared and he sit there and go that could have been a moment. That could have been yeah. a moment. And then again, it's a good fashioning of a chance. Like he's done yeah. really well to get into that position. He shimmies around the defender. It's just again, I don't know. It's not quite as wasteful as some of the others, but just yeah. doesn't quite get the shot off, does he? Yeah. And then Ronaldo is close to a fourth as well, isn't he? I think yeah. A ball crossed into the box, and he just he can't reach it cleanly. And you can sense his frustration as well. Like you mentioned about him cramping up. There's a shot where he's on the floor and he's obviously cramping up, and, and Sergio Ramos has gone over to him to sort of ask him if he's okay. And the referee runs over as if to be like, "Oh, what's going on here?" And he's like, "And you think you see like <laughs> Ronaldo gestures to him like, no, he's my mate. Don't worry, yeah, no, <laughs> he's fine. just checking if I'm okay." Yeah, put your cards away. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. A, a quick note on that Ronaldo goal, though. I when I watched it live. I remember turning to one of my friends and I said, "That's almost identical to what he did against Portsmouth. the the, the <laughs> goal that the goal that he scored for Manchester United." Have you shoehorned that in there? <laughs> well, you know, it just that's the first thing that, that I I thought of because I yeah. remember standing in a pub watching Portsmouth versus Manchester United and Cristiano Ronaldo standing over a free kick where it goes up and over the wall and David James has absolutely no say, chance yeah. and, and scores. <laughs> And it, it's like that. And it's you sit there and go, you give Ronaldo the opportunity. He's shown you that he can do it before. You can put a wall in front of him. They can jump and it will still go in the net. And he and he does it again here. Um, he is the most, like, he's, he's clutch, isn't he? He's the most clutch mm-hmm. footballer. He comes up big when it's needed. There's no one, I don't think there's anyone you'd rather have over that free kick in the dying seconds of a game 
when you need to pull a result out of yeah out of nothing out of the fire essentially yeah if there's anyone um, else stood over that to try and take it it hits the wall and the game ends yeah so what about you know so as we get to the end of the game there's there's you know a couple of other opportunities do you, did you feel like there was there was more in this game did you feel like portugal could have potentially got a fourth the the final two chances that I noted down were the the sort of the charisma block shot and then the Ronaldo kind of the header just wide and both of them just screamed not desperation but the the cross into Ronaldo looked a little bit tired because it was very high um, yeah. wasn't that well placed and the charisma shot although he's he's obviously fresh legs he's come on the I, th- I think I think it was Joad Piquet who puts the tackle in he just lunges at the ball like all of his body weight just get anything in front of the ball and i think by that point it's just um the game kind of it wasn't petering out but the the chances weren't exactly i don't they weren't clear cut were they mm. um they were kind of half chances towards the end and i mean a 3-3 a three, three. Uh, like i say this this game was one of the most exhilarating games of football of world cup football i've ever seen mm. um from start to finish i have zero complaints whatsoever and it's why i chose it <laughs> i think w- what's really uh interesting as well so when i was re-watching this game yesterday my girlfriend said to me oh so um uh, oh are they uh, uh, who's like knocked out of this who's knocked out now and i said oh no this is a group game i said this isn't even <laughs> knockout yet i was just like this yeah. is the first game in the group <laughs> So yeah. it kind of um, is played with the intensity of a knockout game, though. It is, yeah, it really is. Portugal, obviously, after this, uh, after the group, they they went on to lose two one to Uruguay in the round of sixteen, and Spain limped out of the tournament, losing four three on penalties after a one all uh, after extra time performance against Russia, which kind of caught everyone by surprise. So yeah. Strange that they both went out in the next sort of after obviously this game we mm. said that Spain looked really strong. Obviously you've got Cristiano Ronaldo that's just desperate to win a World Cup. He looks like he's going to drag this 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 whole team as far as he can possibly go. After this game, I don't think either of the teams play that well at all. I no. think in both in the following two group games, um, they both just about eke out wins over Iran and Morocco respectively. Then they draw their final games and they they both kind of limp out in the round of 16 from what started so strongly here just it just kind of goes down here from the end from the final whistle here it all it just goes downhill for both teams yeah yeah very much so yeah this is the the peak for both of them so do, do you have like a, a man of the match i mean i i cannot <laughs> look past cristiano ronaldo here like i, I think you've got a different one to me but I, there's I there's do, no yeah. person in this game who has done more for for his team or to affect the result than than Cristiano Ronaldo here. It's the ultimate one man performance, I think. Uh unsurprisingly unsurprisingly <laughs> I went for Isco. <laughs> uh I felt that he was consistently involved in everything good that Spain do. He, right. Retaining possession when needing, tracking back, being a proper team player, being unselfish, taking chances himself. I just I felt like part of it is like that he doesn't get the respect that he deserves and i just i just felt like you can argue that if ronaldo wasn't there then portugal would have lost if isco wasn't there they might not have had the creative outlet that that Mm. they needed 
Um, I just I just feel like it would have gone would have gone very very differently. But yeah, um, the thinking man's choice for man of the match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, interestingly, as well, so Ronaldo becomes the fourth player to score in four different World Cup tournaments after Pele, Uwe Sela, and Miroslav Klose. He's also the first hmm. to score in eight consecutive World Cups and European Championships. So he's setting some records. Mm-hmm. At, at the age of 33 at the time, Cristiano Ronaldo also became the oldest hat-trick scorer in the World Cup, um, surpassing oh. Rob Rezenbrink of the Netherlands, who scored three times against Iran in 1978, age 30. And also, with this result, Spain had not won any opening matches of a World Cup since 2006. They lost to Switzerland 1-0 in 2010, and they lost to the Netherlands 5-1 in 2014. So maybe they're the new slow starters that Italy are normally dubbed. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 a new curse for us to uh, potentially look forward to in, in Qatar 2022. <laughs> yeah. Did you have any other sort of closing uh, thoughts or uh, musings? Yeah, I think the last the last couple of notes that I made on this was just this game was was almost like an untouchable team performance coming face to face with an individual who just refuses to lose here you just see it you see it on Ronaldo's face from the start that just like they're not losing this game and i think there's there's moments like that in in team sports where where one player can just drag a side to a point or a victory or a win or anything like that with just sheer power of will alone mm. there was something that i i heard i think this was last week i heard this story where it's a very similar comparison to um goalie Patrick Waugh in the NHL he was a he was a goalie for the Montreal Canadiens in the early 90s I think and I think I'm a little bit hazy on the details but there was a game in the playoffs one year where his team's offense really struggled to show up in the first two periods and I think he'd let in two goals against I think it was against the Red Wings um and in the dressing room just before the final period he just said to the rest of his teammates look I'm not letting another one in so you guys better sort out your shit he didn't let in another one and the Canadians won the game in overtime. So it's just a, a one player can make a huge difference to a side where just like, I'm not losing, which means you're not losing. So get your shit together and we can do this. And I, th- I think that's exactly what happened here. You just look at the game. Portugal had a lot of chances. Only one man showed up with his shooting boots on. So yeah, just from literally everything that surrounds this game and then the 90 minutes that it's centered around are fantastic from start to finish. Like, I enjoyed watching it at the time. I loved watching this um, on, I think it was Wednesday afternoon, I sat and watched this. Yeah. And then just picking apart the narratives around it was, oh, such a great way to end out the series. <laughs> Absolutely. And you can watch this game in full on uh, FIFA's YouTube channel, FIFA TV. You can. So do go and uh, recommend looking at that. They've got all sorts of games on there and stuff. So uh, yeah, it's full, full of good stuff and, and you can watch this game in full. Um and that's it that's it for season two thank you for for listening and joining us on a journey through all sorts of different world cup stories from decades gone by i mean we covered a lot of ground this season we've yeah we've covered a lot of new stuff we've covered a few players and yeah we've got some ideas up our sleeve for next year so or next year you know next season excited to get get started yeah absolutely well thank you very much for listening and we will be back again on your podcast feeds uh in well we're not going to set a time frame soon to enough. It, but <laughs> soon enough yeah yeah you'll, you'll miss us but not forget about us so yeah yeah we'll see you again soon thank you for listening and uh yeah we'll see you next season <laughs>